And so I dismissed them or was waiting to dis- dis- dismiss them. And they're, I'll have to be off screen here, but they're, they're sitting right back over here. And, and so this fifth and sixth group is there, and I, they're, they're waiting to go. They're, they're all sitting there looking at me like, why do we have to wait? And finally one of them says what they've all been wanting to say for weeks. Why do we have to go last? Well, the fifth and sixth graders, that's why. Those are little kids. But, but the why do we have to go last? And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to pull Scripture on them. So, so I say this to them. Well, Jesus says, the first will be last and the last will be first. And since you're last, that means you're first. And, and, and let me tell you, they stopped complaining. No, I'm serious. They, they stopped complaining. They, they sat there silently for a while. Not because they wanted me to continue to teach this teaching of Jesus. The first will be last. It, it, it's not like they asked, come on, explain more of this wonderful teaching so that we can internalize it and live our lives uh, based on this thought. Uh, they, they, they stopped complaining and they got quiet because they were looking at me like I had two heads. And finally someone said, what does that mean? We're still last. Uh, and, and so the next week, I, I let the fifth and sixth grade go first. And, and subsequent weeks, I kind of switch it up. Different groups go first. And every time, almost every week, whoever is the last group will say to me, why do we have to go last? And I always, not one, not once has the group said, hey, thank you for letting me go last. Thank you for teaching me this valuable life lesson and letting other people go ahead of me. And, and I always say to them, well, Jesus says, and they always look at me like I have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, let me uh, let me try something here this morning. I, I was reading this week uh, someone, and he made the comment that we all, kind of as part of our human nature, want to be great. Now, now maybe maybe that's not our driving force. Maybe that's not what we, we think about every day, but... But kind of an innate part of who we are is that we want to be great. And maybe a different way of saying that or a different way to describe that is we want to be special or we want to be noticed or we want to, to stand out. We want to, to have something different. The, the guy illustrated this way. He said, said when my five-year-old, when, when my son was five years old, he would constantly say to me, Dad, watch me. Dad, look. Dad, are you, are you watching what I'm doing? And, and he made the point that as adults, we don't do that. We don't stand up and, hey, look at me, look at me, look at me. But... But there is kind of a part of us that still thinks that way. So, so let me ask, would, would you kind of agree with me on that point at least? That, that in part we want to be great. We want to stand out. Max Lucado said this one time, none of us grow up and want to be mediocre. None of us have it as our life goal to be mediocre. We want to stand out. We want to be someone special. Uh, now if you want to be great, if you want to be noticed, if you want to be special, if you want to stand out, I've got a, I've got a key. I've got a, a, a solution to that. I can tell you how you can make that happen. And it's actually straight from the mouth of Jesus. If you want people to notice you, when you come to the end of your life, and you want to look back and say, man, I had a great life. If you want other people to look at you and realize, man, this person stood out and they were special, here's what you can do. If you follow the words of Jesus, then you will be great. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said, become a servant. If you want to be great, be a servant. If you want to be great, Jesus described another way. He said, then be a slave to other people. What? Now, now maybe you, for the first time, can understand what those fifth and sixth graders were feeling like that week after week when they were always last. And, and I told them, if you want to be great, 
uh, or if you want to be first, then you have to be last. Martin Luther King said this, everyone can be great because anybody can serve. He goes on to say this, you don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and verb agree to serve. You don't have to know Plato or Aristotle. You don't have to know Einstein's theory of relativity. You don't have to know the second theory of thermodynamics and physics. You only need a heart full of grace and a soul generated by love. I would suggest to you that that if our desire, kind of our innate thought, is that we want to, to stand out, that we want to be great, that we want to be noticed, that, that, that if that's kind of how we think, I would suggest to you as a church, as a, as a body, as a, a church, that we think somewhat the same. As a church, we don't want to be mediocre. We don't want to just, just be like everyone else. As a church, we want to stand out. We, we want to be great. We want to be special. And, and the way to get there is exactly the same as it is for us as individuals. To become a servant. To become a slave. Our, our theme for 2019, we're starting off today, and in a couple of weeks we'll go back to, to Psalms and, 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 uh, and stay there for a few weeks. But, but our theme for 2019 really is going to be a simple theme. We're, we're going to pray about it. We're going to promote it. We're going to push it. We're going to plan for it. We're, we're going to ask you to participate in it partake of it, and prioritize it in your life. We're going to dream about it. We're going to get excited about it. I'm going to be preaching about it. We'll have some victories and we'll have some failures. But but our theme this year is to fulfill the words of Jesus. When Jesus said, and we're going to read the text where it came from, but when Jesus simply said this, but to serve. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 10. And, and I'm going to ask you to keep, if you have your Bibles there, if you if you don't, find it on your phone or there's a, a Bible uh, in the, the, the pew in front of you. Uh, we're going to stay here in, in Mark chapter 10 uh, and, and read several verses. We're actually going to back up and read a, a, a section from Mark chapter 9. So, so get Mark open and then hold it because we're going to go back and forth and, and revisit some of these verses a couple times. So, so have that open so you can look at it real quick. Mark chapter 10, verses 35 to 45. If you have your Bibles, follow along with me. Then James and John, the sons of, De- of Zebedee, came to, came to Jesus, came to him and said, Teacher, they said, we want you to do whatever we ask. Now James and John were two of the disciples. They also were Jesus' cousins. So they, they were family. They were related. What do you want me to do for you? Now Jesus already knew what was going on. Jesus already knew what was on their heart. But he asked the question, what do you want me to do for you? They replied, let us one sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. Now, let's pause there. We're going to read uh, on, on down to the rest of that section here in a second. Let's, let's pause there and, and catch a little bit of the content. What's going on here? Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. In fact, if you back up to verse 32, it says they were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. Uh, it, it says up. They were actually coming from the north. They were north of Jericho at this time. But it actually is uphill to Jerusalem, so that's why it says they were going up to Jerusalem. So they were on their way to Ju- Jerusalem. This was going to be Jesus' last trip to celebrate the Passover, the last time he would be in Jerusalem. For, for just a, a mere days later, Jesus would, would be arrested and would be crucified, would die, would be buried, and would be resurrected. So, so he's on his way to Jerusalem. Jesus had at this point, already predicted three different times. Three different times he had said in 
in as plain of English as he could, uh, oh, it would have been English, it would have been Aramaic or Greek, but as plain as he could, Jesus had said, I'm going to die, and, I, I, and in three days I'm going to be resurrected and come back to life. Jesus had already predicted that three times. But where was the mind of his disciples? What were they thinking? Now, now hold that chapter 10. We're, we're going to come back and finish that text. And, and go with me, if you will, over to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. So just move back a, a chapter uh, in Mark chapter 9, verses 33 to 35, they they came to Capernaum. So this they were up around uh, up in Galilee. They were getting ready to leave to head towards uh, Judea and Jerusalem. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, "What were you arguing about on the road?" But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Now. Now, if you want to go back and read, I'm not going to read the verse. If you want to go back and read the section right in front of this, was the second time Jesus had predicted his death. So right after he predicted his death, they're arguing about, hey, I'm going to be the greatest. No, I'm going to be the greatest. No, it's not you, it's going to be me. Uh, sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, if anyone wants to be first, he must be very last, the very last, the servant of all. Where... Where's Jesus? We're going we're gonna to see in the text when we finish reading there in chapter 10 that Jesus was telling them how to be great. If you want to be great, you have to be a servant. If you want to be a great, you have to be a slave. If you want to be great, you have to give up yourself. Where was the disciples? Who's going to have the most honor? Who's going to be the one that holds the mark? So flip back over with me now to chapter 10. Let's, let's finish... Uh, Let's finish reading. We're, we're going to pick up at verse 38. Uh, so, so this is kind of where, where we're at. Jesus is trying to get them to understand what his kingdom is about, and they're arguing about who's great. Verse 38. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Now, now the truth is, they, they, they knew he was talking about something here, but they weren't sure. They were certainly going to say, yeah, oh, yeah, definitely, if that means we're, we're at the right and the left. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm going to be baptized with. They both were going to be uh, persecuted. They both were going to die uh, because of, uh, of their faith. But but to sit at the, or actually one of them, John wasn't, but to sit at my right hand or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom it has been prepared. It's not even my job to say that. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with James and John. Now, they got upset with James and John, not because... James and John were way off the reservation here. It's not because James and John were talking about who was going to be the greatest. They were indignant because James and John beat them to the punch. See, they'd been arguing just the chapter before. They'd been arguing who was going to be the greatest. And now James and John pulled Jesus aside, and they're like, oh, we missed our opportunity. They've got the, the, the inroad. Plus, hey, they're relatives. They definitely have in, inroad. So, so they were indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great. You know, we talked a little while ago about uh, that's kind of our nature. Is we want to be recognized. We want to be great. We want to stand out. We want to be different. Jesus tells us how to do that. He says, not so with you. Whoever wants to be great among you must become your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. 
And then verse 45, probably the most important verse in, in this section, maybe the most important verse in, in Mark, maybe the most important verse in the Gospels. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. But to serve. And give his life as a ransom for many. We're going to be looking at, at two things that Jesus teaches us. We'll look at one of them today. We'll finish up this thought next week as we talk about this idea of serving, uh, but, but to serve. Uh, the, the key verse in this section, obviously, is, is the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. What Jesus was saying to his disciples and what he had been trying to get them to understand, not, not just in this section, but actually over the last, the, the, the last several days and weeks of his life, in reality through his whole ministry, what Jesus was trying to get them to understand was to not miss the point. So I would suggest to you, to, to you this morning, don't miss the point. He had try, been trying to get them to understand, and they continued over and over and over again to miss the point. See, what he wanted us to understand, what he wants them to understand was it's, it's about people. If you have your Bibles, now flip back to the start of, of chapter 10 again. We're still in 10, but we're going to go back a few verses. Verses 13 to 16 would would you follow on there? And, and we see this idea, this point, that it's not that, that it's not about other stuff. It's not about being great the way we think, but it's about people. Look at verse 13. People will bring little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus saw this, and he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who does not receive the kingdom... Uh, of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. Jesus' ministry, Jesus' kingdom, the, the heart of the church should be about people. Church, we have to always remember. Church, let us never take our eyes off of every Everything uh, uh, about this should be in front of us. We should filter all that we do with this thought it should we should make it our goal and our purpose to keep it about people if you study jesus ministry you don't have to look very far to realize that jesus ministry was always about people the heart of his ministry was him seeing him interacting with and him loving people and what's even more noteworthy about that it wasn't it, it was who jesus noticed it wasn't the powerful it wasn't the prestigious it wasn't those who could do something for Jesus. Instead, Jesus was drawn to the powerless, the hurting, the broken, the ones left behind, the ones who had no one else. And Jesus was always drawn to the one, ones who could do nothing for him, who had nothing to offer him except their praise and their life. Church, who should we be drawn to? Don't miss the point. It's about people. Who should we be drawn to? Who should we prioritize? Who should we seek out who should we be serving who should we be loving on should it be who jesus who jesus saw after who jesus was drawn to we'll talk a little bit more about that next week but nothing illustrates this idea better than the lesson jesus was trying to teach here with the story of of the little children see it might be good practice in our generation in our time it might be great practice for someone who's in public eye to uh to, to grab a baby and, and and love on the baby and get a picture holding the baby. That in in our world that's a good thing. In Jesus' day, it 
it was. In fact, in Jesus' day, if you if you look at the social pecking order, at the very bottom of the social pecking order was children. And right next to children, and in some cases maybe lower than children, it, it's not right, it wasn't good, it shouldn't have been that way, but right by the children and maybe even below them at times were, were women. So so who was Jesus interacting with? When, when they were bringing children to Jesus, it wasn't their dads bringing the children, it was the moms. So Jesus was interacting here with moms and and with babies. Jesus was loving on people. See, Jesus' ministry often and his teaching was radical and it was revolutionary. He went against his own culture and offered dignity and acceptance to both women and children. And, and, and no one would have given a second thought to his disciples rebuking them for coming to Jesus. No one would have given a second thought except for Jesus. See, Jesus understood it's about, it's about people. See, while the disciples were debating who was going to be the greatest, while James and John were scheming about pulling Jesus aside and, and securing their spot, one at the right, one at the left hand of Jesus, Jesus was loving on people. And Jesus was caring about those who society cast aside. Not, not because a picture of him was going to show up in the Jerusalem Times the next day, but because Jesus loved and cared for people. I met Debbie Silverberg when I was a freshman at Ozark. She was a, Debbie was a fifth year senior who had just returned from a year in Chile serving with a missionary couple there. Uh, we, we ran in completely different circles. I was a freshman that didn't know what I was doing. Didn't even really know why I was at Ozark, to, to be honest. But and, and here she was, a fifth-year senior, already been on the mission field. I mean, she was focused. And in fact, after she graduated, she went back to the mission field to Chile. And, and uh, so we ran in completely different circles. Never would our paths have, have crossed, except that she dated my roommate for about two or three months. So I got to know Debbie Silverberg. And, and I remember sitting with my roommate and, and Debbie, hanging out with them, as she told stories about her time as a missionary in Chile. And, man, I, I was just a kid from southern Illinois, and I'd, I'd never heard stories like this. And I was just amazed. And I just sat mesmerized as she talked about uh, about what she had done and what she had seen and what she had, she had experienced. And, and one of the stories she told uh, is a story that has stuck with me, and I've remembered since that day. She talked about going for the very first time uh, from the big city out into the, uh, out into the countryside, out into some of the villages. And she said, as her and the missionary couple were walking to this village, they explained to her that one of the most important things was that they, that they had to show respect to the people, to the villagers. And, and they explained to her, when we come in the village, the, the mothers will rush to us with their babies, and, and it's important that we love on them. It's important that we treat them with gentleness and kindness, and we care about them. And, and if we don't do that, we're going we're gonna to miss our opportunity. So, so as they walked in the village, Silverberg said, said, it happened just like they said. All the mothers came rushing towards them, with their babies, and, and, and the missionary couple was right in the middle of this throng of people. Silverberg said she kind of stood off to the side and, and just watched for a while. Eventually, she kind of got involved with it as well, but said she watched as, as one by one these mothers would hand their baby to, the, to either the, the, the guy or, or his wife, and, and, and they would take the baby. If it was a little boy, they would say, uh, they would say to hijo es, uh, es guapo, your, your, your son is handsome. If it was a little girl, they'd say, to, to hija es is uh, hermosa your baby is beautiful your daughter is beautiful and one by one they take the babies and give them a kiss on the cheek and 
and hold them and, and say, your, your son is, is handsome, your daughter is beautiful. And said, as, as they did this, they kind of worked their way through the crowd. She noticed one mother who was standing back away from the crowd. She was part of the crowd, but really wasn't part of the crowd. And, and as they kind of worked their way through and had, had, had almost greeted all the mothers and babies, the last one left was this mom who stood off to the back. Her baby's head was buried on the mother's shoulder. And and Debbie said she watched as the as the, the, the missionary wife walked up to this baby to this mom and reached her arms out like give me your baby. And the, the mom hesitated for a second and finally she she rousted the baby off of her shoulder and lifted it up and when when she did, the baby turned and faced the missionary. And Silverberg said, I saw for the first time life the mother was there. The baby had a severe cleft palate. That's tough anywhere, but in that society, it's you're, you're going to be ostracized, you're going to be pushed away. Because she understood why the mom was separate, was part of the group, and yet not part of the group. And said she watched. And, and Silberg, as she tell, told me this story, tears were running down her cheeks. And she said, I watched as that missionary reached out Rode up close to her and kissed that baby on the cheek, and nestled her against her shoulder, and then looked at the mother and said, To Eha, this Elsa. To Eha, this Elsa. And said she held that baby and stroked his head, saying over and over again, Your baby is beautiful. So Brooke said she watched as this mother, who, who obviously had a wall up, who obviously was very guarded, and, and you could see just the, the weight and the pain that her life was experiencing. He said, I watched as slowly a smile came upon her face. She probably, for the very first time in her life, someone had noticed her child. For the first time in her life, someone had said, the baby is beautiful. Church, don't miss the point. Don't miss the point. Jesus was trying to get them to understand that, that. That's why this story is in here. Right in the middle of Jesus, two different times uh, predicting, actually the second and third time predicting that he was going to Jerusalem to die. Right in the middle of the disciples debating on who was going to be greatest. And then James and John come along saying, hey Jesus, we want to be at your right and left hand. Right in the middle of this, Jesus was trying to get them to not miss the point. It's about people. Church, we'll talk a little bit more about what that means for us, how that applies to us next week. Uh, don't don't miss the point. It's about people. Don't miss the point. It's about priorities, too. If, if you have your Bible still there in Mark chapter 10, let's just move to the next story that we see. You know, this is all happening as Jesus is going up to this. You want to be great? Be a slave. You want to be great? Be a servant. Uh, look at Mark chapter 10. We'll, we'll look at verse 17. Start with verse 17. You know this story. It's the story of the, the rich young ruler, a young guy that had money and prestige. Everything that these children didn't have, this is this guy. Uh, verse 17, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him, fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, and this guy had to be excited at this point, like, man, I've done that. I've, I've kept these since I was a little boy. Jesus looked at him. 
Because Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. This guy had to be hanging on every word. Okay, what, what, what's the next thing I need to do? Go sell everything you have and give it to me. Then you have treasure you have and then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around, said to his disciples, how hard it is for a rich, for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now catch verse 24. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Verse 26, the disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who, who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. I've always, I've always seen this story as a story about priorities. I've always seen this story, and, and it is, and, and we're right to apply it that way, and however you want to look and, and, and have some personal application to your life, go for it. But I've always seen this as a story about priorities. This guy had his priorities all mixed up. His, his priority was his money and his wealth, and when Jesus told him to sell it and give it to the poor, he wasn't able to do it. The, the, I've always seen this story as, as more about, uh, about this guy. Um, but I want to point you to a different part of the story. Uh, a part of the story that maybe, maybe you missed because I have always missed this. Look, look with me again at verse 24 and verse 26. The disciples were amazed at his words. Verse 26, they were even more amazed. Uh, never stop and, and wonder. I never had, so I'm, I'm guessing maybe you haven't either. But, but you wonder why they were amazed? The, the Greek word for amazed there, some of your Bibles might have translated astonished. Uh, the Greek word for amazed or astonished there is the, is the word thambale. And thambale has the idea, yes, amazed, yes, astonished, but has the idea of terror. And it has the idea of being unable to move. So, so it's kind of the idea of being astonished or amazed, so much so that you're you're froze where you are, man. You're you're scared, scared to death, or there's a terror. And you're like, man, it just freezes where where you are. Have you ever had someone say something to you that froze you in your your spot, man? I've had that happen many a times. Uh, one of the times that I that I remember specifically uh, happened in March of 1980. In March of 1980, I can I can remember this. I, I know. The, the, I don't remember the day, but I do remember the month. March of 1980, uh, my wife said four words to me that changed my life. Four words for me to me that I was not expecting. She said, "I think I'm pregnant." We'd been married about nine months. We were going to have. We wanted to have kids. We talked about how how good, great our kids would be, and and they were going to play basketball, and they were going to be smart, and they were going to be KU fans, and and uh, I don't. Know, we talked about that much then, but 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 boy, we we were. We were excited to have kids, but not then. She said, I think I'm pregnant. And, and I was astonished. But I was thambale. I was frozen in terror. It was about, it was about 17 months later. It happened again. My wife said, I think I'm pregnant again. And, and I, 
froze in terror. We, we were going to have multiple children, but not this close together. Now, truth is, God blessed us to have them that close together. It worked out great. I, I remember going to Rita's parents and when, when we told them that we were pregnant again. And her dad didn't much like me. Um, but I've told people before, that's why I'm a KU fan. As I started cheering for KU, so he would like me. Uh, I don't know that it worked. But, but when we told him that we were pregnant again, he looked at me like... <laughs> Uh, and I'll never forget what he said to me. It's a little inappropriate, so I can't tell you. But if you want to ask me later, privately, I'll tell you what he said. <laughs> but, but, uh, so maybe you've been there before. So when it says they were amazed, it wasn't, it wasn't, wow, that's interesting. It wasn't, wow, that's exciting. Wow, that, this is something new. They were amazed, but they froze. They were shocked. What was going on? What was going on that caused them in this interaction with Jesus? And, and it comes right on the heels of Jesus saying it's hard for rich man to make heaven. Why? Why did that freeze them? See, I've always seen this passage. I've always seen this passage as dealing with the rich young ruler and his inability to get his priorities in order. Notice how I keep saying this. I've always, I've always pointed out, in fact, I, I probably have in sermons, I've preached on this before, I've probably pointed out that Jesus never asked anyone else to do this. There were people that did, but Jesus never n- never said those words to someone else. Hey, sell everything you have, go give it to the poor and follow me. Uh, so, so I've always kind of explained this way. In fact, I've always kept, I've always kept this passage kind of at, at, at arm's length. I've always kept it just a little bit away from me. It's about this guy and his priorities. How about you? I bet you've done the same thing. In fact, I know you have. But you know what? I've yet to meet anyone that has sold everything they had and given to the poor and followed Jesus. Now, maybe a couple missionaries, I bet you could say they did that. You know, I raise your hand if you're here this morning and you fit the bill here. I don't know anyone in our church that sold everything that they have and given to the poor to follow Jesus. Raise your hand if you have. That's right. So, so you, you've probably done the same thing I've done with this story. Just kind of kept it at arm's length. But we have a problem. What Jesus said amazed the disciples. It stopped them in the past. The, the gospel writers uh, uh, included this. In fact, as Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three include this story. And they include it because we need to hear something from it. We need to understand something from it. They included it because Jesus noticed that that they were amazed. Jesus noticed that they were thambailed, that they froze, that they were shocked at what he had to, had to say. Their, their reaction is relevant to this story. So, so maybe there's another application that makes this a little bit more relevant to me. They, they were shocked, and, and it could have been a couple things, uh, and, and probably was both of them. It's more the second than the first, but maybe they were shocked because Jesus so easily dismissed this rich young ruler. His disciples surely had looked at this guy and thought, Jesus, this is the kind of guy we want to, to be a part of our group. This is the one we want to come in. Man, if someone that's rich and powerful and young and energetic walks in our back door, I can guarantee you as a church, I've seen it. I've done it. I can guarantee you they walk in the back door and I'm like, yeah, come on. We've got a great seat here in the back of the church for you because no one wants to sit in the front. So we'd have them come in. We would ask them their name and we'd invite them out to dinner if they were rich. So I know his disciples had to be thinking the same thing. 
man, this guy's rich. He can fund our ministry. Maybe we won't have to sleep out in the uh, on the countryside. We can uh, afford a hotel room. This guy will fund our ministry. He's powerful. He's a, a ruler. He's got prestige. Maybe he can talk to the Pharisees and they'll get off our back a little bit. This guy is young. He's energetic. Man, what, what a great guy to bring into the fold. And then Jesus says, yeah, you can follow me. It's sell it all. They had, to, they, they had to at least a little bit be shocked by that. But Jesus, you're missing an opportunity. But it wasn't just that. See, see, I think they were shocked. They were shocked. Look at verse 23 again. Jesus looked around, said to the disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom. And they were met. And, and, and then he doubles down and says, well, it's easy for a rich man to uh, or, or a camel go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get to heaven. And it says they were even more amazed. They were even more shocked by what he had to say. Maybe we get a glimpse at how they were missing the point. Go, go back, if you will, to verse 37 in chapter 10. We stopped there a while ago when we first started this text. Verse 37. They replied, let us, this is James and John, let us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Let us sit at the right and your left in your glory. In your glory. What do you think they thought Jesus' glory was? Now we know, we, we, we know Jesus' glory is His kingdom here on earth that's spiritual. We, we know that, I guess we can say His glory is, is what's going to come at some point in heaven. But that's not what they were thinking. See, they were thinking that Jesus was going to run the, the, the Romans out of Jerusalem. He was going to take these the, this invading army and run them out. He was going to re, reestablish the kingdom of God in Jerusalem, that Jesus was going to sit on a throne. And, and they had seen His power. They had seen Him say, say, hush, and the wind stopped. They had seen Him say, Lazarus, come forth, and a dead man walked. They had seen Him touch a blind guy, and He saw. They, they had seen His power. They knew what Jesus was capable of. And so they're thinking, He's going to sit on a throne in, in a in a temple, and he is going to rule the world. And so now understand what they were asking. They were saying, Jesus, in, in your throne room, a throne room that has jewels and opulence and gold and, and all kinds of stuff. I mean, someone standing there with a the fan fanning you and someone to bring you a drink at the snap of a, of a finger. They were going to sit one at his right and one at his left. That's what they were thinking. So, so understand here what they were thinking about. They wanted to be great. But what was they what were they thinking greatness was? Their greatness was going to be Now that's not why they started following Jesus. They didn't follow Jesus because they thought, man, it was going to be a payday. I don't think that really even motivated them. Even at this point, that's not really what was motivating them. But somewhere along the line, it had crept into their psyche, it had crept into their mind, into their thinking that, that they were going to be a part of something special. And that the spoils of being close to the king was going to be theirs. And now Jesus says it's hard for a rich man to enter heaven. And let me just tack on, hey, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Right. 
see, Jesus was saying to them, you're missing the point. They were missing the point. They had taken their eyes off Jesus and his ministry and had put it on what they were hoping they could get from Jesus. We'll, we'll talk more about this next week. We'll draw the application from it next week. The church, oftentimes we as believers take our eyes off of Jesus. See, see, we miss the point. It's, it's about people. And it's about priority. And oftentimes we take our eyes off what the church is to be about. And we begin to think, what can I get out of it? What, what can I receive? Can I feel good about myself? Can I check something off and feel like God's touched me? Can, can I get health, wealth, and, and, and all kinds of good stuff because I'm following Jesus instead of putting our eyes on what Jesus asked us? They, they, they were missing the point. See, it's about purpose. We'll, we'll talk more about this next week. But, but the purpose really is defined in chapter 10, verse 45, when Jesus said these simple words, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. That's, that's our purpose. That's our purpose. Jesus' purpose was to serve and that to be. Where's the team if you want to come in? 150 plus years ago there was a, a Catholic priest named Father Damien Damien was a Belgian a Belgian missionary to the, the uh, island of Moleki in Hawaii I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right or not in fact when Reed and I was in, were in Hawaii in uh, September I ran across the book in, in a gift shop that was written about this Father Damien and while she stopped I bumped through and read the book, but I, I'd read this story about Father Damien one other time, and, and he had moved to Mile- the island of Maleki, and, and I, I guess if you've got to be a missionary, you might as well be a missionary in Hawaii, huh? And uh, that's my goal. If God calls me to the mission field, that's where I'm going. And uh, But but he had, he had established several different churches on the island and was doing really good, but then God called him to a different place on the island. On the northern tip of the island, there was a peninsula that jutted out. In fact, the only way to get to this peninsula was by boat or to climb down somewhat of a sheer cliff. And and it was on this point 150 years ago that that the islanders would would take the people that had leprosy. And and, and somewhere along in his ministry, he just felt God calling him to be a part of that ministry, calling him to to go to the the islanders that were were stranded on that part of the island. So. So Jesus, or so uh, Father Damien headed that direction. That's where he went. It was there that that he began to, to to establish the church and began to build houses for the people. It was there that he began to reach out and care for the 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 people of the village. One one Sunday morning, Father Damien was boiling some water for to, to prepare his meal, and he spilled a little bit of the boiling water on his foot. And he didn't feel anything. And it shocked him for a second. And then and then reality kind of set in. And he purposely took a little bit of the hot, boiling water and poured it on his foot again. And he felt nothing. He said it was then he realized what was going on. That he, too, had leprosy. It says he went that Sunday morning. And as they started the church service, he stood up and and every Sunday morning, he would stand up and, and, and he would say, my fellow believers. But he said that Sunday morning, he stood up and said, my fellow believers. 
Jesus calls us. Jesus calls us to, to the world to be great. He calls us to stand up. He calls us to be noticed. He calls us to be different. By being a servant, by being a slave. Would you bow? Father, we thank you this morning for the, the message of your word. It's plain, it's simple, but Father, it's not necessarily easy. But, but your message uh, is there, but we sometimes miss the point. It's about people. Father, it's about us getting our priorities right. It's about following your purpose. Lord, give us the passion to follow the words of Jesus, but to serve. We ask this in Jesus' name. Would you stand? As we sing.